Before we get started, I need to thank a new Patreon patron. Thank you, Jennifer Knopfsinger, for becoming a patron of the original cast. You have joined at exactly the right time, because this year, 2021, you now have access to the original cast of the movies, our patrons-only podcast, which this year is dedicated exclusively to the cinematic works of one Mr. Stephen Sondheim, the subject of today's episode of other episodes. Fan favorites all, I believe, lots of intermissions in there, and now an entire 12-month dig into the cinematic career of Stephen Sondheim, Kicking off uh, in January here with Tara and Stefania from the Off to Broadway podcast talking about the HBO documentary Six by Sondheim directed by James Lapine. Uh, we're going for Forum. We're going for Night Music the movie. We're also going for Dick Tracy. We're talking about Camp. We're talking about Sweeney Todd, obviously. Uh, we're talking about The Last of Sheila. We're talking about Evening Primrose. We're talking about them all. And, well, not all of them, but we're talking about 12 of them, and they're all great. So uh, get over to patreon.com slash originalcastpod, become a patron of the original cast, gain access to the original cast of the movies, and just join us as we dig into Sondheim. You will not regret it. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. I guarantee it. All right, here's the show. Whenever my world falls apart, I never lose hope or lose heart. Whatever the form of the storm that may brew, not with you to lean on, darlings, you. Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is the host of, well, what would you call it? You would call it, she calls it a historical music, musical theater criticism show i call it just a tremendous amount of fun <laughs> it's called stealing Aww. focus it's on youtube and it's emily clark everybody hey everybody doing? oh my god i'm so excited to be here thank you for I'm having me so glad you're here uh this is so exciting to talk to you and to talk to you about a little night music isn't it rich are we a How did a little night music come into your life? God. Um, well, <clears throat> it's so funny. Um, Sondheim is, Sondheim's my guy. Like I'm, sure. I'm a big Sondheim girl. I've kind of, it's kind of been a huge part of my musical theater identity since, definitely since high school. But, you know, my mom started me young on all the Sondheim musicals. She, she taught me, you know, Into the Woods and stuff like that when mm. I was a little kid. Um, but um, something kind of cool happened to me recently. I, I got, my friend kind of gave me like a hand-me-down record player. And, um, and now I have this record player. And so I contacted my mom and I said, hey, do you have any records? Like, I know you used to have a bunch. So she came over to my place the other day and dropped off a huge box of them. And um, ah. it is definitely, this is, uh, for yeah. those of you who can't see, I'm holding up 
uh, an original 1973 copy of uh, a, you got it, yeah, 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 of a little yeah. night music. Absolutely. And so this is how I discovered a lot of those kind of oh, especially okay. those 70s Sondheim musicals was sitting there with my mom's record player and um and taking uh so we had a big stereo system where i where you could record the audio onto your cassette tapes mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. i would play the record and i'd record onto my cassette tapes and it would have like the scratches and skips and all sure. um so that's how i really kind of got into a little night music when I was like probably in high school or something. I also started learning some of the songs from it because I really got into that original cast recording of putting it together with Mm -hmm. Julie Andrews and Rachel York. And um, I just remember so many of the songs in it and being like, Oh, I really like these. I should learn what that show is. Um, So, so yeah, I've been a, a bit, I've been a fan since I was in high school. It's only really resonated more for me with every passing year. Why is that? Because the great thing about Little Night Music is that there's a role you can play as a woman in every stage of life in that show. Mm-hmm. You can be, mm-hmm. you could be little Frederica who, who's like maybe 12 or 13 or 16. I don't know. She's, she's a teenager. Right. Um, you could be Anne who's like in her twenties and Petra is in her twenties. You could be like Charlotte who's in her thirties. You could be like, uh, uh, Desiree, you could be uh, like, uh, I keep wanting to say their actor names, Hermione Gingold. Um, Nobody can be Hermione Gingold. Nobody oh, can be Hermione Gingold. It's, yeah, so I think it's a really cool show. And um, Sondheim is really great at telling stories about middle-aged women. He's just really good mm. at it. And, you know, I'm, I'm going I'm to be 40 in a couple of years. And just songs that kind of went over my head as a kid where I was like, this is kind of fun. And I like this harmony. Now I hear it and I go, oh, my God. Oh, I get this now. <laughs> Resonating. Resonating yeah, exactly. with you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Have you ever been in it or seen it? Uh, yeah, both. Uh, oh, so okay. I saw, let's see. I saw a production in 2005. 2005 at, it was at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in LA. Mm. Mm-hmm. and it had a really good cast. I can't remember everyone who was in it, but uh, I have a re- program somewhere. Sure. But um, I think Victor Garber was in it. Uh. Um, and I remember that was, uh, Sondheim was there. He was in the front row of the mezzanine, and um, at intermission, everyone was kind of near the front of the stage, like pointing up, <laughs> and I went down there, and I was like, oh, my God, it's Sondheim. I freaked out. And then... <laughs> So I've seen that production and then, God, it had to have been like eight, six or eight years ago. I did, I did a, a production of it and I was Petra. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's a good part. part. Oh my gosh. She's the best part. You have, you get to kind of flirt around and get fun one-liners and kind of sing in like a weekend in the country and group stuff and kind of chill. And then you get to just show up at the end of the show and sing the best song in the show. And right. You're like, bye. It's like my favorite thing. I love those Sondheim characters who just like have an 11 o'clock number and steal the whole show. And then they're like, peace out. Bye. See you later. Yeah. Bye. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> She's gonna go have sex with some other hot guy who works in the house or something. It is such a weird. Well, we'll get to Miller's son because it's such a weird moment. It, it's a beautiful moment, but it's a weird moment in the show. It's, I, it, it totally is. And before we get there, though, we should probably let people. I wonder how many people actually know the story of a little night music 
even people who it's, know the show. Oh my god! So it, do you think you could give people a summary of the plot of Little Night Music? I mean, it is farce to an extreme, man. Mm-hmm. It is it is shenanigans, and it's exactly what you want from this kind of show. So let's see. I have I have my script of it too here. Uh-huh. So I I need you to look at their the hard, names. I have that same copy of script, not within yeah. arm's reach, but yeah, the hardback. Yeah, it's because sometimes I can't remember their names because they all have these. Oh, you know, they all have those Swedish names, names. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. Okay, so, okay, what's the best way to describe it? Okay, Frederick Eggerman has just married this young, hot, 20-something virgin named Anne. Frederick is a, I think his wife is dead, and he's got, he, or, or he's deeper, I think she's dead. She's um, dead. And, and he's got a, a 20-something son yeah, who is like a major downer named Henrik, and he's so mopey, and he plays the cello all the time, and Anne loves to flirt with him. But um, uh, one night in bed, uh, Frederick says the name Desiree, and Anne's like, who is that? Um, and, and we find out that Desiree is Frederick's like fabulous actress, former lover. Mm. Um, and so he reconnects with her, and it turns out she's having a dalliance with uh, this count who's got to stick up his butt he's like a total douche but he's also <laughs> cheating on he's cheating on his beleaguered wife charlotte so carl mm-hmm. magnus is his name and <laughs> he's cheating on his wife charlotte with desiree but desiree's like not really that into him um and then somehow charlotte makes a connection with Anne. um also <laughs> desiree has this really old mother and she has a daughter named frederica Right. I mean, our leading man's name is Frederick. Her right. daughter's name is Frederick. Whose dad so do you think not, she is? Who? I don't know. Yeah. Um, and basically, everyone schemes to kind of get together at a country house by the end of Act One, Desiree's country house. So it's all the couples coming together and all the mixed up pairings and flirtations that kind of ensue from that. So we have Desiree who wants to be with Frederick who's married to Anne, who Henrik has a thing for. And then Carl Magnus wants Desiree and Charlotte wants Carl Magnus even though she's married to him. Petra wants to, have sex with everyone. everybody yes everybody everyone is hot she's into it right and then oh um and then madam Armfelt kind of just sits there in her wheelchair and just kind of kind of quips wittily um and then everyone at the end ends up with the person they should end up with right very importantly <laughs> through the shenanigans <laughs> through the and shenanigans. like it's like there's scooby-doo moments where like characters run in from the forest and then other characters run in and then they run out and like it's so great it, well, it, it's it's really fun and i was reading today the my sondheim and co chapter on this book and also finishing the hat the sondheim book oh yeah this, prepare for this. there you go we have the hard cover my finish, i have oh, the soft cover of sondheim and co yeah yeah and it um it says in it, but apparently the plot was supposed to be even more convoluted originally it was supposed to take place in three parts where the same story was told three times three different oh, ways God. until we got to the right ending. And that convention that the show opens with of, um, see, now you got me going. I was going to say Hermione Gingold again, but it, it's, uh, yes, it's Madame Armfeld. Madame Armfeld. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, playing solitaire was supposed to be, she would play it. She starts the show that way. And then when she finished, when the part of the, the story finishes, she reshuffles the deck and the story starts over again until people yeah. finally end up where they're supposed to be. That was Sondheim's idea. And Hugh Wheeler just could not make it work. <laughs> 
And so it's, they went with that's straight like that farce. End of, um, that's like um, if you like, I don't know, wrapped up merrily with like, I don't know, Clue or something. It is very, <laughs> it, it was, it, reading, reading, Son, it was funny in, the, in Sondheim and Co. Because reading Sondheim talking about it, I was like, that's a really good idea. And then how Prince like re-describing it, I was like, well, that's a terrible <laughs> idea. You're like, it was just such a funny, like you could tell Sondheim had it and nobody, you just, nobody else could, could wrap their minds around it. And so sometimes they ended you up, just have to be the other one to like rein Sondheim in, which which he he says in the book very candidly. He's like, I don't like I I it was I think I like my idea, but it would not have been popular. Is <laughs> sort of like his his opinion. Um, yeah, and yeah, but it is it is a I mean it's very farcical. It's a lot of fun. It is not a Sondheim show. I have to say that I listened to a lot mm-hmm. when I was younger. And but what you just said about it resonating more as I get old, as you get older, really, really speaks to me. I had set up this playlist on my phone of all the recordings of night music that I have, which is set, which are several. And with the, the before we even decided to talk, just with the intention of at some point listening to that, and never did it, never did it. And then when you said you wanted to do this, I was like, oh, this is a good excuse, Zenny. I'll just start bowing through this. And I started. So I'm doing you know all the different versions, including the movie soundtrack. And it just really each time going like these are this is a really good score and I like all these versions of it I like all these people I like oh yeah I just really like it a lot and having a lot more respect for it than I did before I, before I think I would have just said yeah it's really good it's you know it's really I, good. I think you can't get every day a little death and mm-hmm. sending the clowns unless mm-hmm. you've you know lived a little bit of a life sure um, I and I feel like Miller's son. Miller's, yeah. I think, is kind of, I, I look back, like, looking back on, like, my 20s and, like, my wild days, that's kind of, like, how I look back on it now, like, yeah, there you go. You were, you were Miller sunning it up. You were having a good time. Good on you. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Well, let's talk about the Miller son, because it is, it's this funny thing of, uh, one, of one of the things you, if you, if you read about the show and you read about Sondheim and you dig into cut songs and things like that, you find this song called Silly People. Lie here with me on the grass Let the wind be our words as the night smiles down Don't they know, don't they know they don't Do they Silly people, silly people, silly people. Which was cut from the show, which was Frid, the boy, the the butler's song, which Frid, Frid. I know who who Petra sleeps with. Who cares about Frid? Well, Petra for about fifteen <laughs> minutes, probably. And then she's like, and then she's done. He's asleep. I got things to say. Um, yeah, but. He had this song about all the all the people, the rich people are silly, and how Prince told Sondheim to cut it because nobody's going to care what Fred thinks. And it's not a great song, and you kind of get it. But at the same time, you have this other song, which is also by sung by a servant who has had stuff to do. Mm-hmm. Petra's involved in the plot; she's a big part of Weekend in the Country. She's mm-hmm. you know she's around. But mm-hmm. all of a sudden, like you say, she has the eleven o'clock number. She has this huge solo that closes the show. I shall marry the miller's son Pin my hat on a nice piece of property 
I feel like is the lower class version of liaisons. Whereas liaisons yeah. in act one is for Madame Armfeld is the very like sort of the sexually indiscreet function of the very, the very wealthy. And yeah. then Petra is just like, I'm just here to have fun till I can't have fun anymore. And then I will stop having fun. You know what I mean? Or I won't. I mean, that's, I love the ending of it too, where she sings about how like it's, you're stuck with just one or it has to be done on the sly. Impl- mm-hmm. The sort of general, like, this is the easy time to do it. I could keep doing it yeah. later. Probably it just gets trickier. And yeah, I'm just, I'm fascinated by the, the decision it, to have the song in the show. Yeah. I think it's, there's a lot of different ways I think you could take it because, you know, it is a story, I guess with the exception of, well, no, I feel like it goes for the women's perspectives a lot more mm-hmm. um, than the men in the show. Mm-hmm. And I think so many of the women, like all of them, including Petra, who's this kind of like, you'd think this kind of tertiary supporting character, they all have a moment where they kind of get to sing their mission statement. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, at least once you know at least once right Mm -hmm. um and so on the one hand i think that's kind of cool that she gets that moment um i also think it's something about summing up how everyone has been acting in the show but not giving any freaking airs about it Mm -hmm. like she's saying all of you are having sex with each other but you're all kind of oh we have to keep it very and she's just like whatever i'm just gonna go have sex with a hot guy like no one i don't have anything at stake i don't have any stupid like social mores to care about i'm just gonna do this because it is a very horny show oh my god these people in corsets and just oh it's all about these lingering looks and these (laughs) these jokes and like i mean anne is supposed to be the most virginal and she like tortures henrik like the whole time like and it's because she's flirting with him like right so i think there's something about it whereas like frid Fred, I feel like him singing silly people. It's like, we just watched it. We know, we know they're silly. Like we know they're right. ridiculous. Um, I feel like it wouldn't have the same impact because I, and there's the other thing. It's like, there's a part of it I can't really describe. Like when you see it and Petra does that, like the crowd goes nuts and mm-hmm. like, it's a lot of fun and people kind of relate to it. And yeah, I don't know. It, it just works for whatever reason. I mean, one reason it works is because it's a really good song. I mean, it should yeah, yeah. it should not be overlooked. The fact that it's just a, a really solid Solid song. It's got that Sondheim patter, baby. It sure does. But the thing about, like, the difference between, to me, like, Silly People and the other men's songs being now, later, in praise of women. Yeah. It's not about Frid. You know, it's about it's about the people, like you say, we've been watching being silly. And like you say, we know they're being silly. And <laughs> But all those other songs, 
uh, that the men sing are about, like you say, it, it's their mission statement in a lot of ways. It's who they are or what they're doing, you know, especially later and in praise of women. It's 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 a very revealing character moment. Whereas it's silly always in relation to the commentary. women, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's it like it, the whole show centers in a in a real way, not in a way that like <laughs> that sometimes mm-hmm. shows pay lip service to. But it really sure, is yeah. about these the these women and their roles within the society that they're in and it's not Mm -hmm. about them breaking out or or changing it's just about them surviving in their given roles even women we don't see i mean i mean all uh glamorous life is all about you know ordinary mothers ordinary daughters (laughs) we don't meet those people (laughs) but we get a sense of who they are and then but like no mine tours (laughs) (laughs) and like desiree is able to get away with stuff because she's an actress like Mm -hmm. she's not an an aristocrat like she's beloved and like successful but you know at at the time when the show takes place like that's not so, you know, actors weren't really a thing to aspire to be <laughs> until right. the no. 20th century, you know? Yeah. So she's able to, like, kind of get away with stuff and be a little more frank and a little more, and have an illegitimate daughter. And no one right. really bats an eye. Oh, and I guess the other thing is that her mom's an, an aristocrat. So she has the luxury uh, to just, like, have her mom's money and just be like, there I go. I'm going to go do this thing. Um, <laughs> well, but, like, to, I, I, to take care of the child, too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's so funny because going back to what you're saying about Miller's son and liaisons, li- liaisons is the song in the show where I get about halfway through it and then I go, oh God, there's still two minutes left. Oh my gosh. It, it <laughs> and then she's like, no, it's figs. And I go, okay, raisins. you know what I need? Yeah, raisins. Yeah, I'm like, I love you, Hermione, but this, this is pretty, pretty brutal. <laughs> At the palace of the Duke of Ferrara, Who's prematurely deaf but a dear At the palace of the Duke of Ferrara I acquired some position plus a tiny titian Liaisons, what's happened to them? Liaisons today To see them Indiscriminate women, it pains me more than I can say. The lack of taste that they display. I listened, this is not a joke, I listened to five different albums of this show today. Mm-hmm. And every time Liaisons gets to the section, take my daughter, I taught her, I tried to show her the way I even named her Desiree, I thought it was the end of the song. Every, yeah. every time. Even, and the last time when it happened, and then the song kept going, I went, what is wrong with me that I can't like, but I, it, I don't know what it is about this song where I'm just like, clearly this Sondheim, is the end. Yeah, Sondheim did his job too well because it's supposed to be like, you know, and like a, a really old person who's just kind of, stream of consciousness and then oh mm-hmm. where was i oh let's go to this thing it's like it's really really realistic right by the end you're just like okay <laughs> okay all right all right go back to your solitaire lady but i yeah. still enjoyed it i really i have to say like it was it, it is a song i definitely skipped um in my younger days uh, as it yeah. is like um because you know it's slow and it's not fun and it wasn't in high school song i was ever going to sing so it just you know (laughs) we could pop right past liaisons um (laughs) 
but it is really like it, it's it, it is a it's first of all it belongs there and second of all i think it, it yeah. is a really really good song but i just went to the lyrics to look up how it ends and it only has one more she verse goes to sleep i think right well it has like... one more verse after the desiree thing so it's like mm. it's not the end but it's almost the end and it feels like it's gonna keep going forever if she doesn't fall asleep <laughs> and, it, and it would and it would and it would and then oh, frederica's like oh jeez. mm-hmm it is and she is very like i really listening to it a lot got this like madame armfeld is very classist like very very like the reason you sleep with all oh, these yeah. men is to get money and status to then like because somebody the which who gave her the duchy oh she doesn't know she remember. never says she just says that <laughs> it, it was in the kingdom the, the castle of the king of the belgians yes of course um, yes, but she doesn't tell us who it was but somebody like gave her this yeah. title that gives her this land that gives her what she has and that's why she, she did used her she feminine did. wiles you know I, just like which, all the other women in the show yeah. in like late 19th century or whatever yeah. it is god bless like good job <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> lady you know you got Get what it. you needed totally <laughs> but it is the three i mean it's the three different versions of that it's it's what we use and actually there's four because there's there's what madame armfeld uses sex for there's what desiree uses sex for is what Petra uses sex for. But then there's also mm-hmm. Anne out yeah. there in Anne and Charlotte kind of doing their thing, their more chaste thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. Anne doesn't know what she wants because she's young. And so like right. that's why she and Petra are so fun together. Mm-hmm. Because Petra is the one who's like, Oh, you just need to get laid, Anne. And she's like, What? No, I mean I'm married. <laughs> and it's like, lay your husband. She's like, I'm scared. And um <laughs> I, I actually, like, I get that. There's no reason why she should be married to this, like, no, old man. No, no. Um, Uncle then, Frederick. Oh, God. And Isn't then, that the um, grossest scene? <laughs> it's the grossest. It's the grossest thing. Oh, God. Oh, and, and then she's kind of an idiot. Like, I love it when yeah. he's, like, when they're doing You Must Meet My Wife. And he's, like, she saves my cigar, but she goes, bizarre. But you're, what? You're joking, you're joking? right? No, yeah, this is uh, kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, yeah, Charlotte is just... Oh man, I guess yeah. she's a good counterpoint to Desiree, where it's like she's tragically stuck being in love with this guy who's just total, total jerk mm-hmm. and doesn't appreciate her. And you know, the ending is they get back together, and it's like, yeah, Charlotte, you should take a vacation or something. I don't know, like, <laughs> well, because he has Carl Magnus has such a like weird hold on her. And oh, it's yeah. purely animalistic, it seems to me. Yeah. Like, it's not, there's a way you could treat that as like abusive, but it seems that she's just like, she's just so into him on a like, yeah. and like all aspects mm-hmm. of him. And all she really needs for him is to, for him to acknowledge the, <laughs> to be like a little bit into her, which is what happens just, at the end, basically. Yeah. He comes running in with his pants around his ankles, like furious that someone might be touching his wife. And, I know. And then none of the other women really want him anyway. Even Desiree is like, right. she's like, oh, I want to get rid of this guy okay. so I can hook up with Frederick. Right. Um, get back to that. He's her, yeah. He's her <laughs> boy. That's yeah. What he's totally the, yeah. <laughs> he's in, in betweening with him. He's not really, yeah. you know, how did that get started? That's such a weird, <laughs> such a weird place. I'm sure he just like came to her show and she was like, you look interesting. Yeah, and right. then he got like, like, got like oh, way too, he was way really too not her. interesting. You're not yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is the the song I love Anne in the most though is Every Day a Little Death, where she's like oh. so out of her depth. <laughs> he talks softly of his wars and his 
assumes I lose my reason and I do men are stupid men are vain love's disgusting love's insane are humiliating business oh how true oh well that's a good moment for her though too because it's like Charlotte kind of opening her eyes to this stuff for the first time and she's like oh right yeah wow it is really, I mean, because she is basically a child. And I, I like that her lyric early on that I, I heard kind of for the first time, because soon would have been another song I would skip. Again, not a song I was going <laughs> to sing in high school. Uh, after now and later, you know, we're, mo- we're moving yeah. on. But she, when she has, what is the line? She- And it is like, that's awful. <laughs> that's not something, because it is the thing of Anne's problem seems to be not so much that she's afraid of sex writ large. It's just that like, Frederick is not the right guy. And no, she doesn't- No, his son is. No, right. Her- his, Henrik, his Henrik is the guy. Depressive, she's into emo guys. You know, it's just she's the way really, it, she's into emo really guys. Into she's into super emo. Ah, uh, youth. Oh, uh, Lutheran pastors. That's what she said yeah. to Moody Lutheran pastors. Oh, who isn't? Oh, <laughs> well, that's kind of what that's kind of what happens in a flea bag, right? A little bit. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> that's I think he's Catholic. Spoiler alert: he is. But otherwise, otherwise, sexy the, the, priests are good. But Henry's yeah. like mopey hair, like yeah, turtlenecks really, and he, sweaters. He's a oh my God, that yeah, poor he's guy. he's very bloody bloody Andrew Jackson is our uh, is our Henry. I know. How did he have a dad who was such a player and he's just so... Oh, totally. And he's just <laughs> dour as all get out. But he's got those crazy tenor notes where he goes really Oh, high, he really does. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that so much. I love him. Oh, God. Yes. That. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> On singing. Well, and I love the fact that he plays the, I don't know what you call that, that section. You murmur, I only, it's just that And then sings it the second time through. Though I've been born, I've never been. How can I wait around for later? I'll be 90 on my deathbed and the late, or rather later, Henrik Egerman. It's like sometimes kind of good at this, like a little bit. It's like, like yeah, a little, he's good at those themes. Like a little bit, you know. <laughs> making one, connections. Like whatever, you know, like music. Yeah. Well, and it's all famous. I think the one thing you could ask even the most bass like music theater Sondheim fan that they know that night music is in uh three-quarter time and variations of it it's all in variations of three-quarter time it's amazing and uh, we haven't mentioned like one of the best parts of the show which is the freaking greek chorus oh yes the leader singer yes 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 yes. i love i you know i love a good greek chorus especially in a musical i just i don't know i just little shop little night music there's just something Oh, City of Angels, like just having that mm-hmm. quartet that, or, or, or quintet, whatever, that group that has to just sing so tightly and sing some of the best music in the show. Because I'm a sucker for like choral and acapella and harmonies and stuff like that. I just love doing stuff like that. So whenever I get to hear them do like Remember or like 
what perpetual they open the show yeah songs oh Mm -hmm. god all those la la la's they do at the beginning Mm -hmm. i just love it so much and that's kind of those moments where you let the three four wash over you and the waltzes and you're just like pretty music oh this is so nice (laughs) well you get into I wouldn't say a fair, a good amount of music theory in your show when you talk about on, <laughs> on, uh, on stealing focus. Do you have a lot of like theory background? What's your what's your music oh, theater training background? Oh, I um, let's see. I've I went to the L.A. County High School for the Arts. Um, oh, yeah, <laughs> for music, and I went to UC Santa Cruz uh, for college. Um, but like, I've been playing. I've been like playing piano since I was young. I'm not like a pianist, but like Mm -hmm. I can read music and stuff. And like the more I just kind of started when I was, let's see, in college, I started kind of, it wasn't like a musical theater school, a big Shakespeare school. Um, But I remember one of my friends was doing a Greek play. They were doing Trojan women and they were adapting it with music. And there was literally no one in the theater department who could come anywhere close to doing anything like that. But they were like, Emily, that girl, Emily, she knows how to, she, she knows music and stuff. So um, <clears throat> that's when I started kind of getting into music direction. And the more that I've music directed, the more it's just kind of in mm-hmm. my life all the time. And, I, you know, I teach middle school choirs and I direct musicals with high schoolers and middle schoolers. And so it's just a thing where it's just always there. And I always encourage my students to read sheet music because you don't have to read sheet music to read sheet music. If you just know what some of the symbols are and the codes for them, then that's like a really cool thing. Cause not Mm -hmm. everyone is the same when it comes to sheet music and reading music, but music theory. Um, some people get by their whole life without having to do it at all. Um, and I don't know how to do that at all. (laughs) But it's funny that you said that. I was just listening to um, a Broadwasted podcast and Marissa Rosen mm-hmm. was on with Marty Thomas and she talked about how for her money as like one thing she would tell any students coming up is learn to read sheet music because yeah. she couldn't tell you how many jobs she got <clears throat> just because she could read music, like just because she was the one in the room who could read the music. So that's who they gave the job to. And yeah. it's a real skill that's worth, worth, <laughs> worth getting. It is. And just like, and it's practice makes perfect. You mm-hmm. know, the, the more you do it, the better you'll get at it. And it's, it's just deciphering hieroglyphics and knowing that when the notes go higher, you're singing higher, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and, and, you know, my mom is, uh, she's also a musician and a music director. I've just been singing my whole life. So um, music theory is kind of just second nature. Um mm-hmm. And I just try to educate kids in like the most 101 basic way. Um, not like when I went to, when I went to the LA County High School for the Arts, you had to take music theory sure. for like two or three years. If you, uh, I was a vocal major and a dance minor. So um, it was required for you to take music theory classes. So I learned, I had to do ear training and all this stuff. So because of that baseline I got, especially in high school, I've been able to just build on that kind of my whole life. So what was it like being a theater kid on the West Coast. Because for those of us on the East Coast, we had sort of, you know, New York within, for me, you know, it's off the 95 corridor. It's two or three hours mm-hmm. away from where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's it's part of, you know, things were coming out of New York or moving towards New York with DC. Obviously where I am now is a big theater hotspot. What is it like on, on, on the West Coast or specifically in Los Angeles, which has a lot, I mean, I lived in Los Angeles. It's got a lot of theater in it. I'm not, you know, but it's it's not a theater town. So how was that, you know, finding your theater as a theater kid in LA? 
Well, I got to tell you, I, I actually love talking about this stuff because I'm a big proponent of our theater community in LA. I'm a big mm. member of it. Um, and I was very involved with it up until, you know, coronavirus shut well, down sure. everything. Um, but uh, yeah, LA has a lot of different things with our theater scene. Um, we have theaters all over LA. We have important theaters. Um, for example, I'm, I'm born and raised in Pasadena. And um, hands down, the best production of Little Shop Before as I've ever seen is the production the Pasadena Playhouse did just last year. Mm. One with MJ Rodriguez and George Salazar mm -hmm. and Amber Riley as the plant where they did all this amazing new stuff with the puppetry. Um, I was part of the West Coast premiere of uh, Mr. Burns post-electric play. Oh, with, sure. Uh, yeah, with uh, my theater company, Sacred Fools. And Th Sacred Fools lives on a stretch called Theater Row in um, mm -hmm. Hollywood on Santa Monica Boulevard. And, um, you know, we were able to utilize the space in a way that you couldn't in New York because it was in a complex with three different sized spaces, a main stage, like a second stage and like a black box. Mm -hmm. So for each act, we moved to a different oh, space. Oh, really? Yeah, so by the time we got to the third act, which mm -hmm. is like supposed to be 75 years in the future, this weird like, kind of, tattered ruins of a stage opera thing and we were right. these greek masks like that was um <clears throat> really amazing um we have uh we have theaters that for tours you know we have like the major spaces like the um uh pantages mm -hmm. and the you know the mark taper forum dorothy chandler um amundsen sure. um where the tours come in but um a lot of shows incubate here Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of shows um, start off here or do a run here and then do a run on Broadway or off Broadway. Um, and also the, one of the coolest things about this community is that it is obviously a film and TV town. This is Los Angeles. Um, yes. so, so there are plenty of actors who are working in film and TV. However, when you're working in film and like say you get a commercial gig, you can do one of those and you're set for the year. Mm -hmm. So then what do you do to feed your creativity for the rest of the year? So the theater community is really cool here because it's a lot of people who are doing it because they love the craft and mm -hmm. they love, they're, they're set for the year because they just did like a commercial that was on the Thanksgiving day. I literally had a friend who was in that Steve Carell <laughs> commercial on the Thanksgiving day parade and he was great. Sure. But then we would go and do, um, on Saturday nights, we would do this thing called serial killers where you have to, where you write a serial in a day, a 15 minute piece, and you have to learn it all in one day and perform it that night. And um, the, the ensemble membership theater community is really cool here. Um, mm. We have fringe festivals. We have the Hollywood Fringe Festival, which is an amazing playground for all kinds of different um, theater people. Like sometimes the Hollywood folk like kind of slum it um, mm. with us theater folk. Um, there's also just like good, like especially if you go out to like Orange County, but there's also just good big regional theaters that do just like their own productions of big flashy musicals. Um, <clears throat> so it, it's different than Broadway for sure, but mm. I feel like it's more akin to maybe like Chicago, um, mm. or even Seattle, where you have these theater communities that are just really insular and thriving. And because there aren't as many high stakes as you would on Broadway, mm -hmm. you get to do more experimental stuff. You get to do more black box stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, I, 
I, I miss it so much. I miss it mm. so much because um, all of it just stopped, obviously, right. when, when this happened. But um, it's always uh, really exciting for me when people are like, is there any theater in LA? And I'm like, boy, howdy. I've pretty, I have a theater company called The Unknown Artists and we've produced a lot of plays and musicals out here. We, we produce the LA premiere of 35 millimeter. Um, oh, wow. By Ryan yeah, Scott Oliver. Right, right, yeah. right. right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. So that was really cool. Um, it, um, oh, I, I had a group that I founded or I co-founded called Play Club where people, and it's still going, where people just meet every week and just read plays, movies, musicals, whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's free. And it's one of the only free things you can do in this town that'll kind of like hone your chops and mm -hmm. hone your skills because you got to know how to cold read if you're going into an audition or something. Sure. So, or sometimes it's just more fun to read a play like Death of a Salesman. Like it's more fun to like kind of read it out loud with people than just like sit there and read it by yourself. So like sure. there's a lot of different ways you can have a creative outlet out here but um i i'm here to say i love our la theater scene it's it's a really really cool community and um i miss it a lot and la doesn't just mean la it's obviously because we've got all right. these cities all around so it's this kind of huge network of theaters and unfortunately a lot of them i don't even know if they're gonna be here next year right like, it's it's really scary but um yeah, yeah I, I i i love to hype it up so uh, don't don't let uh, la scare any of you you could do some sure. theater out here yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> sure yeah when i was out there it was in the nascent days of i am a theater company um and mm -hmm. i did a bunch of work with some of those with those folks um yeah way back in the day uh mainly recording leslie headland shows <laughs> oh, being, wow. i was the one with the video camera so i was the one oh, they yeah. called to record the shows, which was yeah, great because yeah. i got to see all those great leslie headland shows in there in their <laughs> in their nascent days is theater row where the comedy central theater is you know, it is. It, it okay. used to be called the Comedy Central Theater. It's called the Hudson now. Okay. But um, yeah, my a friend of mine did a show. We did a show just last year at the Fringe there. Um, yeah, it's it's just a few blocks. Um, kind yeah, the of, Honda dealership and and all that stuff, right? That's where we yeah, bought my wife sure and I bought is. our car there. Yeah. Sure <laughs> is. Yeah. There yeah. Do a straight shot down. Uh, <laughs> down uh i don't even remember the streets anymore like cahuenga or something you yeah past sunset and then you hit santa monica and then it's just all these great theaters and um there's a couple like theater bars that have opened like the the uh, sacred fools where i do theater they have mm. a bar in there called the broadwater and it's so funny because mm. it opened a couple years ago um <clears throat> and the theater is run by this guy named patrick duffy and patrick's dad is patrick duffy you know Patrick Duffy from sure. Step by Step and Dynasty. Sure. So it was always his dream to open this theater bar. So the first year, Patrick Duffy was just like there all the time, like mm -hmm. working behind the bar. And his hair is really long now and silvery. And he's like a little old and out of it. But there's also like a weird bust of him above the bar from some TV show episode he did where hmm. he was like a vampire or something. Sure. But that's the other thing is like, um, like I said, you know, there's a lot of, film people and tv people who just need their creative outlet so they do theater out here because they could do it for a few weeks and then they'll go back to their tv and theater gigs so like um one of the one of the guys in my theater company is french stewart so i see mm. french stewart all the time and oh, there like, you go yeah i've worked with him a few times and his wife is like this amazing uh playwright so it's oh, that's cool. it's yeah, it kind of like demystifies it all, like the whole mm -hmm. celebrity thing too. Because mm -hmm. when you go to an arts high school too, there's just like 
people you go to high school with who become famous and like you just, sure oh sure like, well yeah taryn killam was our che and evita and then the year Ooh. before that yeah the year before that my claim to fame uh is uh being grammat's idol to josh groban's tevia um yeah that's a pretty good it's claim on, that's it's on good. youtube it's i did really? a whole yeah, it is. It's really weird. They showed his production of Fiddler when he hosted the Tony Awards a few years ago. And all of us who went to oh, Locks were like, oh my God, that was our production of, of Fiddler. Oh, wow. Um, oh, yeah. And Brian Scott Oliver was our Perchick and he was Perone. So, I mean. Oh, gosh. I know. It's pretty good. That's a pretty Arts good crew. Yeah. yeah. Well, especially in either New York or LA or even like mm-hmm. Chicago, any major city, it's going to be. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a thing. Uh, yeah. without, without, any, <laughs> without any question. So yeah. how did you come to start doing um, Stealing Focus? How did that become something that you're doing? <gasps> okay, so let's see. Um, well, I've always been a musical theater history nerd. Um, and as I got older, it kind of just started... I kind of realized that not every musical theater person was like me. I kind of didn't Mm. realize how many people who did musicals and made, who wanted to make musicals their thing, just didn't know why stuff like Oklahoma was important. They'd be Mm. like, oh, Oklahoma's dumb. And I'm like, okay, but like, do you know why it's important? Right. Um, Or, um, you know, any show like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And... I I got into, I've always been a fan of watching, you know, internet reviewers. um, Mm -hmm. I just love watching that stuff. And anytime they would review musical stuff, I would go, yeah, okay. But like, do you understand why it's structured like that? So, um, <laughs> and so I kind of just was like, not that I'm any big expert, but I was like, I want to get my thoughts out there. These thoughts that I have about these pieces of media and musicals and eventually like musical theater history. I just want to get it out there so that it's easily accessible because there aren't very many, you know, there are no, musical theater like history textbooks you can have for like a class you can gather together a bunch of books like you and i have like about sondheim and like cobble things together but there's no the closest i found um was the broadway the american musical documentary and book that went with it right yeah so there's this um new art school that just opened up in the San Gabriel Valley. And I taught there for a couple of years and uh, I taught a musical theater history class and mm-hmm. they, they just let me do that. And so I used that DVD and that book kind of as my structure, as my mm-hmm. rubric mm-hmm. because it hit all the important, and then it hit, then that series was made in like 2001. So it kind of right. ends with the producer. So after that I had to kind of go from Figure there, it but out. it was a great, yeah, but it was a great way to be like, and here's why showboat's important. And here's what vaudeville was. And, um, and, and I just think it's, um, I just think it's important to know that, that stuff. And, mm-hmm. and, and if you don't like, um, old musicals, uh, that's totally fine. But, um, I just think it's fascinating. And like, I'm, I'm a history nerd. I'm going back to grad school now, um, like a crazy person for history specifically. So I can make musical theater history, my major, like my masters in uh, it. Um, okay. Yeah. Cause there's no musical theater history masters, right. but, um, yeah, but there's a school in LA called Cal state Fullerton and they have mm-hmm. a musical theater, um, 
BFA program. So my mindset, and this was like, again, right before COVID hit, my mindset was, okay, they have a good history program too. I can go and do history there. And then I can like TA with the musical theater classes and um, kind of get the resources from them. And then COVID hit and I've been all online this first semester. So right. I'm just trying to take those basic, how do I college student again, like mm-hmm. classes. Sure. Um, yeah. But uh, so, and then I had the idea of like, you know, my brother had this puppet and I, I, I kind of wanted a lot of my episodes I kind of wanted a lot of my episodes to have an educational bent to them and so I just thought it'd be fun to be playing off of Gerald being the one who I'm teaching mm-hmm. um and so you know my brother and I work together all the time we're very close so um it just kind of seemed like a no-brainer to rope him in and then my husband is a big film guy um and musical theater guy Mm -hmm. so um he toured for years like in rent like he did rent with oh really yeah with constantine and aaron tveit and like rebecca jones he had a whole previous life as this big like a hot sexy musical theater guy he still is but like now he's like i'm I'm into film and stuff now so he does a lot of our filming and editing and all that good stuff so yeah it's just something i just i don't know i just love that stuff and i want the world to know about it i want the musical theater kids to know about it well and it's great if you like me are into that kind of thing because like you said there's nowhere there's nowhere to get it and it was it was wonderful i have to say when cats came out oh god that was like such a blessing to everyone because well yes but it was (laughs) oh 100 110 percent like i listened to a few bad movies podcasts and I was always excited where they would get to, I was waiting for them to do cats and they did, but they all spend at least three quarters of their hour plus show going, what's a jellical. And I'm like, guys, I had this conversation 30 years ago. I don't like talk to me about literally There's any, so anything much else. More to we need apart. to get past the, well, because like, and like, and you've got it on your, I've pulled this video off your YouTube page more times than I care to repeat <laughs> of Hal Prince saying, I listened to it all and I said, uh, Andrew, is this something I don't get? Is this about Queen Victoria? She's the main cat and Disraeli and Gladstone or other cats. And, and then there are, uh, you know, poor cats. And am I missing this? And And he took a terrible, painful, long pause and said, Hal, it's about cats. And we never discussed it again. It's also based on a book of children, because Angela Weber doesn't write lyrics. He's not a lyricist. So all he did was turn poems from an insanely popular British children's book and put them on stage. Like the fact Mm -hmm. that they're kind of nonsensy words is like the least of that show's problems. Right. It doesn't, because there's nothing there. I mean, that's the thing of it. It's like the, the yeah. more you, the, the people who really hate cats, I think, are the people who want it to be something. And it <sighs> it just isn't. But I was so yeah. happy that, I mean, because you have, I don't know, how many videos you have on cats on your channel? I don't know. <laughs> I don't have too many. I really don't. I have there's one. more than one. one. I, I did a history one. lesson before I saw it. And okay. then I did like a reaction after I saw it. Right. But then like I've done stuff with like my friends with musicals with cheese where we watched it and mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, totally. 
but it is that like it's so good to have a place because like all these other resources were failing me and be like okay i can come over here <laughs> where like yeah we're not gonna talk about that <laughs> we're gonna talk yeah, about let's talk about how these songs go on forever because they don't have a bridge or even right. like a chorus oh my god when you said that they're poems emily when you they're said that poems. honestly it was like a light went off in my head i was like this is why these songs are, are bananas because they don't they're not songs they're not no they're and they don't always yeah. fit in the meter sometimes because they're poems and mm-hmm. so it, it just comes out as like gobbledygook and right. i'm like this means nothing to me but <clears throat> the other point i made was that like i get it if you like it because it's kind of how musicals used to be like pre-showboat mm-hmm. it was just like here's a thing here's a review here's hits here's a bunch of hits here's right. dancing girls like you know sure. and it, kids can see it because the sexual stuff goes over their heads and they just right. go cats you you can be you don't have to speak English to see it because all you have to do is just kind of vibe with the music and follow the cats around. Like it's, it's insidious in how genius it is. And yet it's, I, I I mean, I'm a musical theater snob in a lot of ways. There's some stuff that I know is bad that I like, but I've never really been able to, I've tried, I've tried with cats. The only time I've liked cats is the movie, but I like the movie, like how I like the room. Like I love yeah. showing my friends cats and being like, let's do it. Come on. It's so much fun. Like that's the only time I've ever liked it. Cause it's so stupid. But, mm-hmm. um, but I'm also like not a big Angela Weber person. I like him on more of a case by case basis mm-hmm. than I do like in general, because I do think he, while he is good at writing hits, I do think sometimes just, sometimes it could just be so repetitive. And well, I think cats is a good indication of that. I mean, I think, I think he's, he's at his most successful dramaturgically, not financially. Um, oh yeah when he is working with somebody who understands dramatic structure yeah which he has a sense of but not like tim rice love him or hate him he's not a playwright but he understands he understands how like how you build a show how a show has to have an ebb and a flow and a rise and songs have to be kind of the same way he understands the basics and so all the shows he wrote with with tim rice are successful because they have beginnings, middles, ends, builds, growth, character, agree, disagree, like quality of lyrics, all that stuff aside. And then everything after that is really a case by case basis. Like you say of like, who is he working with and how good are they at their job? Which is why I think phantom works. I don't like it, but it works because the the real author of phantom is Hal Prince. Hal Prince is the one who made that a show. Nobody like, and he's I mean you know, he's a obviously. genius he's a hit maker mm-hmm. he just knows how to make a book work yeah most of the time most of the, well uh, of certain kinds of things it's funny yeah. that like I was just talking about uh we did an episode on uh the band's visit which Hal oh, Prince yeah. of course was supposed to direct and I really mm. cannot imagine anything that would have been worse than Hal Prince's version of the band's visit it just is not <laughs> it's because it's not a Hal Prince show yeah. Just like I couldn't imagine what Bob Fosse's The Phantom of the Opera would have looked like and don't want to. Like it would have been mm. exactly that's the face. The I face you just made. That. That's the face. I don't need that. It is or Hal Prince's um cats. It's not the right yeah. person for the material, but like Phantom is hundred percent Hal Prince material. You know, it's yeah. just that that is exactly like how would Fosse subvert Phantom? Like that's the thing. How would they do a minimalist like right. <laughs> now Fosse's cats? I would I you couldn't have. That's I mean, the not kids, a bad idea. The kids couldn't have come, but it would have. It would have been something. It would have been. Yeah, it yeah. would have been something to behold. That's yeah, for damn I, sure. And I agree with you. Like I like 
out of those like Tim Rice, Android Weber ones, like Evita is my jam. Like I oh, genuinely yeah, do love Evita. But like I hate more than cats, I hate Joseph with the fire of a thousand suns. And I oh, think really? it's I do I know it's I'm just an cute. I say that. I don't think well, no, I, I don't think you're an uh, it's, just, it's a cute it's a, <laughs> Well, so here's no, the, it here's... just, oh, it makes me feel, it just makes my brain melt. And I know it's for kids. That's the thing. It's not really for me. I have come to a Zen place about, even about cats, where like, yeah. it, 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 it's, it's, it's of a, a approach, meeting a show on the level, sort of. Yeah. Like, what are you trying to be? Are you trying to be like, really good or are you trying to be like are you trying to push the boat forward in the in the creative unconscious <laughs> of musical theater or yeah. are you just trying to be a like i saw cats at dinner theater and that's the best oh, way to see cats that's the perfect it, way it is what it is it is just yeah. like you know you're doing your thing and then you know old deuteronomy gives you your salisbury steak it's exactly what it should be nothing yeah better. and I love that. that's kind of how i feel about joseph like joseph is ostensibly tya it was staged oh, yeah. on the West End and on Broadway very late because Andrew Lloyd Webber was unbelievably popular and Tim Rice. So they could like, but it shouldn't be there. It should never be produced on that level. It, is, it should be at community theaters, at regional theaters. It should be in high yeah. schools and yeah. colleges. It, that's the kind of show it is. So for that, I like it. But if you were like yeah. going to charge me $150, I would not go see it. Like full stop. <laughs> I'm good. I'm super good. Yeah. I've seen it I'll twice see my in amateur production. Exactly. Yeah. I'm going to get to see someone's going to see Joseph. Her. So yeah, good. Exactly. Play it in the car for the kids. It's a good gateway musical. Oh. Be like, oh, this and is And you can a, you have know. like a million, you can have a million kids in it from your kids' program. You could just yeah. fill the stage with a zillion kids. Totally. You only really show, need so. one, two people to be able to sing. Really. That's true. Yeah. That's and somebody true. who can wiggle their hips. That's all you need. Two singers <laughs> and somebody who can wiggle their hips. And yeah. you're, you're well on your way. But it's funny. And it's short. <laughs> it is very short. Well, and there's a and you shorter version. get rid of version. the mega mix, and then it's like it's like forty five minutes. I want to ask you about two things, Emily. Well, I got okay. you here. <laughs> What's your opinion on two things? We'll start with mm. the one you brought up. The first is mega mixes. Where where do you land? Where does your music theater snobbery take you on me- mega mixes? Okay, so well, here's the thing. Um, I, okay, wait, are there many musicals like stage musicals that have mega mixes at the end besides Joseph? Like, well, I Legally mean, Blonde, I, right? Has one? Oh, God. I had to direct the well, junior version of that a few Oh, did ago. you really? Yeah. Well, because the thing is, because <laughs> there's two different levels. There's, there's, mega, there's shows that have mega mixes in them. Uh-huh. And then there's shows that just flat have mega mixes. Like, because a lot of, it was a thing that people started <laughs> making. Um, oh, I'm currently yeah. Googling Broadway shows with mega mixes. The, the Broadway podcast, coming up again, just did another, uh, did an episode about mega mixes but i'm trying to find well, like sh- well i just did a i just did a review of i don't know if you've heard it losing my mind a sondheim disco fever I have, dream i have heard it and i love it and it is a part of my soul oh and the uh the mega mix at the end of that yes. i do love because yes. it is it's 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 mostly cuts from the whole album but then they incorporate take me to the world mm-hmm. at the end yes and yes. have a little i wish so i like that mega mix i think yeah. it's really good that whole album that is whole kind album. of a mega mix with the exception of miller's son oh, again they like they, miller's son's like the only song that oh. doesn't get miller's mixed son, song. it's 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 miller's son no one is alone Oh, yeah. Our time, I think, all stand on their own. There might be one more, I don't remember. But yeah, and Miller's son, she gets that crate. She's singing like an F at the end. It's a very short way from the fling that's for fun. 
song, again, going back to Miller's Son, that song works so well with a disco beat. Mm-hmm. Like, it oh really my does. God. It Wait, really does. Wiggle in the giggle in the grass. Like, it's so great. Yeah. Oh my God. I don't, I, I never thought Sondheim was something you could dance to, but. Most mega mixes course. I've heard are just sort of medleys, basically, yeah. and, and, yeah. and kind of lazy. Um, but that ties into the other, and they're sort of related because the, there's a lot of mega mixes, as my quick Googling indicates, in jukebox musicals. And that was the second oh, thing I yeah. wanted to ask you about, uh, which is how you feel about jukebox musicals. Um, you know, case by case, obviously, but like broadly yeah. speaking, you know. Broadly speaking, I don't usually gravitate to them. However, I'm not against them. Like, I, I'm not a snob who'll be like, oh, you're like a jukebox musical. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did a rev- I did a whole like history lesson on them because there are a lot of shows that, especially in the early days of Broadway, where you had these <clears throat> these musicals. Well, basically pre-Showboat and I guess Oklahoma, really, where you had these songs written by Tim Pan Alley composers that you could just recycle mm-hmm. over and over and over and over again because they were the hits, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so like Irving Berlin songs and Gershwin songs and Cole Porter. Um, and so then when the '50s rolled around and we were in this new era of the golden age of of musicals, where your story where everything had to connect and your story, your musicals had to have a coherent score and everything had to connect. Um, <clears throat> that's where you saw a lot of these people going, Oh, Hey, we have this like Irving Berlin catalog and Bing Crosby wants to do a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's make a thing called white Christmas for him, right. which is essentially a jukebox musical. Right. So, um, and singing like, in the rain. In the the rain. Same way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that I think, uh, on the one hand, it's like, you can't be snobs about it because jukebox musicals have in a way always been a thing, Mm -hmm. but like, I guess like there's two different takes. I have, I have different categories. I put them in, which is like the bio musical, which I almost can gravitate towards more because it feels a little more natural, but then there's like the shoehorn show where they take a catalog of a composer of a, a star and try to like put it into a plot. Mm-hmm. And so there's always that awkward moment where it's like, I don't know, it's American Idiot. And it's like, hey, what's your name? I'm St. Jibby. Here's right. my song. And I exist because <laughs> there's... So I don't, I don't hate them, but I don't love them. Like my mom took me to see Beautiful. And that's because she is a piano-driven songwriter who mm-hmm. grew up in this, you know, she was in her 20s and the 70s and she relates to Carol King so much. So mm-hmm. she really wanted to take me to see it. And I was like, this is great. And I know a lot of these songs, so this is fun. Um, but I still think the jukebox musical that has blown them all out of the water is Rocket Man, Because, um, oh. yeah, because okay. they, because Elton John, first of all, he's written a lot of musicals. Mm-hmm. So he knows how to structure a good show, um, or at least get the people to help him structure a good show. Right. And um, Rocket Man uses the music not in, um, it does, the music doesn't happen chronologically like in most bio musicals, mm. like where it's like, and then Frankie in the Four Seasons, and I wrote this. You know, they happen where they, where they need to be for the emotional weight of the story. Mm. So, um, and so that I thought was really innovative. I can't think of too many jukebox bio musicals mm-hmm. that do that, that put the music of a, to tell the story of an artist 
and, and not necessarily put them where they happened in his mm-hmm. life. Um, and uh, so the, I would love to see that adapted for the stage too. But I also think it was a beautiful, beautiful film and they mm. took advantage of things that you can't really do on stage. Um, so I, I really liked that a lot, but um, I'm kind of just like meh on them. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm like, okay with them. Mm-hmm. I would never begrudge you for liking a jukebox musical, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I would. I mean, that's that's a pretty good that's a pretty good take. I have to say, I I I think my my problem ends up. I mean, first of all, I I own cast albums for like every show that's won best score and best musical at the Tonys, except Jersey Boys. I will not own Jersey Boys. I hate Jersey. I don't like that music. It's Why do music. you need to? You could yeah. just turn on the '70s station and listen to Four Seasons. I do not like the Four Seasons, so it's not it's not. It was a it was a tough sled anyway. So there but, you go. Um, I think my problem really, co- it, it's like my, my overarching problem with revivals, which is just, th- there's a lot of them right now. Like, it's just like, I really would like to see for every, there's only so many Broadway houses. And so for every jukebox musical and, you know, Evanho video revival, we're going to have, that's one fewer original musical we're getting in the space. And that bugs me because it is and it's a shame that it's a zero-sum game but it is you know if your show's in this show's not so like what are what are what are we not seeing because i'm because i'm getting this and there are good ones you know say i I think beautiful is a very successful show and again just like you said with rocket man one of the things about that makes beautiful very successful is because carol king wrote all the songs so they are it's her singing the song she wrote like that makes perfect it's her it is her actual expression yeah. Whereas some of the other ones are just like this is the song I recorded, and so the who the writer is is sort of amorphous or non-existent, and so it's and so, plus also so many of these bio ones lately have been from the estates of or involved with the person they're actually biopicking, which is problematic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and it's all about it's because Broadway, ever since I guess the producers it's been off the rails. Like it costs so much to make a Broadway show happen so much. And the tickets cost so much and there has to be so much spectacle. And so producers have to hedge their bets and like they have to bank on these like surefire things. Mm -hmm. So if it's not a jukebox musical of a beloved artist, then it's a musical version of a movie that never needed to be turned into a musical in the first place because people recognize the movie title. Right. And then it's like, okay, sure. Mm-hmm. Why not? You know, people recognize that. And um, on the one hand, I get it, but like, I agree. I, I would like to see, I've seen a lot of really cool, weird, small theater um, or new musicals in the past few years. And there are plenty of new Broadway composers who aren't Pasek and Paul who deserve right. to have a Broadway show. Mm-hmm. Um, but <clears throat> You know, we, they're, they're just few and far between. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I like a good revival. But then when you get a show that's having a revival, like every 10 to 15 years, and you're yeah. like, why? Why? And if you can't breathe new life into it, then why do it? Like, I, I love the Oklahoma revival. I thought it was mm-hmm. freaking yeah. great. Um, yeah. Because that show is over 75 years old it's an important show and it's like, let's stop treating it like precious, like it's precious. Mm-hmm. Let's treat it like how we do Shakespeare, like how we mess with Shakespeare now. Like yeah. uh, we find new meanings and new ways to interpret it and just seeing it like so minimal and mm-hmm. with an actual like, like country band on mm-hmm. stage. It, it, 
and hearing all these songs, because I've taught Oklahoma, I know Oklahoma, like I just, sure. I just know it very well and I know the score very well. And hearing things like the ballet, which I know pretty well, hearing it so completely inverted and fucked with and messed with, like it was crazy. And there were definitely older people in the audience who were like this. And right. there were definitely choices where I was like, I don't know about this. But on the other hand, I, I was like, I love that they're making They're making choices. choices, yeah. I love it. And totally. Allie Stroker was like, a divine Annie. Yeah. She she was like Dolly Parton, like but even more white trash. Like she was so good. <laughs> like she had like would have these little curlers in her hair, and like she was just oh my gosh, she was so good. <laughs> and her wheelchair was completely incidental to the story. Never brought it up. Never made a joke about it. Never made a thing about it. Mm-hmm. In fact, a friend of mine saw the show a little while after I did, and he's like, I saw the understudy, and it was just just mm-hmm. a gal walking around. So like mm-hmm. it that was so cool. It felt really. Um, subversive i guess in a way that the fact that they they just cast the best person for mm-hmm. that part yeah and i'm a big i'm a big ado annie champion um oh I really love char- i love that oh, character she's okay. very sex positive and fun and i like her i just think she's like a really well that's the character. yeah i mean that's the thing about that revival was it ran at the show head <laughs> head on it didn't try yeah. to pretend any of the issues with it weren't there and yeah. it tried to make it highlighted the better, the best, in some cases, the best spin on the character that you can give. And in other yeah. cases, it ran at the worst of the show directly yeah. and didn't shy from it. And that was perfect. That's exactly what it should do. Because if the show can yeah. withstand that, then it is a well-written, well-put-together show that deserves to live. And if it can't, then we shouldn't be reviving it, probably, would be my Yeah. Guess. No, and, and I feel you. Like, I, I don't think... You could do that with every old show. Like that last oh, Kiss gosh, Me Kate no. revival was completely unnecessary. But like, I like the songs from Kiss Me Kate divorced from the show. Like mm-hmm. Brush Up Your Shakespeare is one of my favorite songs. Like I sure. think it's so funny. Um, and um, same with like Annie Get Your Gun. We never need to see a revival of that ever again. But yeah. like, we should still do anything you can do at cabarets and stuff because they're funny right. and like they're songs. really good songs. Yeah. 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 But yeah. I, I don't know. We don't need, and listen, I am, I will fight to the death for the Music Man. I love the Music Man. Oh, I, love I love the Music musical. Man too. Oh yeah, I love it so much. People give me grief, and they're like, "I don't oh, love it." No, I was about to, I was about to direct a high school production of it that was going to be really cool and minimalist, and like have all these kids playing a bunch of different parts. And then the coronavirus happened. Right. It never oh, happened. Wow. I was so bummed about it. But, um, but I can also say we do not need a Hugh Jackman Sutton Foster revival of mm. it. As much as I love them both, I'm like, what, what new thing are we going to glean? from 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 this right nothing i i I don't know what we're gonna get out of it like unless they finally acknowledge that winthrop is marion's son then (laughs) it's the only thing that makes sense it's the only miser madison's miser madison's it's the only thing that makes sense nothing else he's the let's bring the subtext up baby winthrop is the frederica of of the music man (laughs) yes Sliding hard crash back into night music for a second, though. I'd be yeah. remiss if I didn't ask you, what is your favorite song? Oh, that's a good question. God, that's a good question. Um, hold on, I have to look at the, I just mm-hmm. have to look at the list. Very fair, very fair. Look at the list. I mean, look at the like, pictures. I, I think, um, I don't know if it's as fun to, maybe it's fun to, okay, let me say this again. I am a sucker for a great act one finale. I mm-hmm. love act one mm-hmm. finales post West Side Story where they integrate a bunch of different themes of the characters and mm-hmm. they leave you on a big high note. Like Lin-Manuel Miranda is actually really 
good at writing at one finale. So mm-hmm. You can tell because he's a Sondheim junkie. Yeah. But um, I love a weekend in the country. I love all the themes coming together and all the characters coming together to scheme. Um, oh, God. I know Miller's son has a soft spot in my heart, though, I got to say. Um, I like sending the clowns, but I think it's a bit overrated. I mean, yeah. I think it's because it's been overdone. It has been overdone. It is. I will say my favorite versions of Send in the Clowns are always by the people with the weakest voices. Just like, like Glynis Johns. Glynis. Who was written for. And I think yeah. that like Judy Dench's version of it in the 95 National Theater recording mm, is, is, is great. I think Elizabeth yeah. Taylor's version on the movie soundtrack is really good. And I'm yeah. not a huge fan of Barbara Streisand or Glenn Close's recordings of it. it. They just, their voices are too good. They have to hold, they have to hold back to yeah. make the song work. And they're not, those are, especially Barbara, not people are good at holding back. Um, it's also, I like Judy Collins' version <laughs> of the song. I don't, you know, mm. I, I don't, I know people don't like Judy Collins. And I, I from what I can tell, her biggest sin was uh, not being Joni Mitchell. Uh, but I, I like Judy Collins a lot. I, I know her from Sesame Street. So it's one of those yeah. like, I like this the nice lady with the auto harp. Um, uh-huh. But uh, so I got yeah, her Grammy winning version. I, I enjoy that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I like sending the clowns a lot. And, and I agree with you. Like, I think, and this is what I like about Sondheim overall is that he'll write belty, big high notes and he'll write big milk mm-hmm. moments, but they have to be earned. He won't write them just so you can have them or because a star is like, I need a song. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was working with Glynis Johns and um, you know, I miss that era of Broadway stars, these Broadway I ladies. So who, do. I miss Carol Chan. Can you imagine Carol Chan? Oh my God. No. no, like I miss those ladies because for me, while the Belty stuff is good and important, it's about the whole performance and um, the vulnerability and the humanity of it all. And it just shows that Send in the Clowns, you know, I think the highest note's like an A. Mm-hmm. Um, and it shows how effective that song can be when you have a freaking good actor uh, performing it and interpreting it like an actor. Um, one of the things my, my students will always ask me when I'm in musical theater, if they're doing a song, they'll be like, do I have to act it? And I'm like, it's called musical theater, right? Why would you not act it? it? They go together. Of course you're going to act it, like act the song. And so, um, I think that gets lost sometimes in the shuffle and I, you know, I love me a good, ah, you know, I, I sure. love that stuff. I live for it. But when that's all you have, when everything is like, how high can I scrout this F in the mask? Mm-hmm. I'm like, can I just have a quiet moment where someone's introspective and like <laughs> talks about their feelings? Sure. <laughs> so uh, th- that's kind of how I feel about that. Like I, and I love Glennis Johns. I love her. Yeah. Come on, like her, great. I love her weird voice and like, yeah. I just, Mother, I have to go. Mother, this I have to go. Mrs. Banks, for crying out loud. I That's know. Cool. I love her. She's I think great. she's so great. She's so good. But is that so? What is your favorite song, though? If it's, is it Miller's I'll say, Son? I'm going to say, I think I'm going to say Weekend in the Country. Mm-hmm. Just to be, just just because I think overall, I could always listen to that song. Mm-hmm. Like it comes on and I'm like, ooh, here we yeah. go. Which part am I going to sing? Like, I just love that stuff. 
They have, in, I love in the Broadway, one of the, my favorite things about the different recordings is listening to how that song is mixed. Because in the Broadway mm. recording, Carl Magnus and uh, and Charlotte are way out in front They're during the re- group section. Yes, yes, yes. I can hear right. them very, very clearly. And so it's fun to listen to the other recordings and be like, oh, I'm hearing what, what Anne is saying in this one. And I'm yeah. hearing what, you know, what what's Henrik up to over there way back in the left channel. So it's, uh, yeah, it's just so much see, going again, on. It's the best thing about, I mean, about mm-hmm. musicals in general when they have an actual finale like that. But I feel like every time I've done a Sondheim show, there's a moment where I get to that page in the music where it's just nine different characters and each has their own staff. And so mm-hmm. it's like four measures per page. Mm-hmm. And then you start to, you, you, you have to start by knowing exactly what you're doing. And then as you work on it more, you're like, oh, this is fun. Oh, look at what yeah. you're doing. Oh, this is pretty cool. <laughs> so uh, I love that. And then I love it how everyone comes together. Coming together in unison. I just love it. That's so good. It's a great song. That's a good pick. What about you? What about you? What about yours? I will tell you. After listening to this all day, my favorite song in the show is You Must Meet My Wife. She sparkles. How pleasant. She twinkles. How nice. Her youth is a sort of present. Whatever the price. The incandescent what the light of my life. You must meet my wife. Yes, I must. I really must. She flutters. How charming. She twitters. My word. She floats. Isn't that alarming? What is she? A bird? She makes me feel I'm what? A very old man. Yes. No. No. But. I must meet your Gertrude. My Anne. Sorry, Anne. I think You Must Meet My Wife is one of the funniest, like, bar none music theater songs ever i didn't uh, every single time uh, it comes i mean song. the best line in the whole show it strike you as unenlightened no i'd strike her first is just like that whole section where desiree is just like getting so upset the point is she's really simple yes that much seems clear you're just like it's the drollest sweetest and like funniest but it's also you can Amazing. feel her eyebrow raised. You can, and time. also, but her seething underneath mm-hmm. all of it. And it's such a great revelation to the audience about how she feels about Frederick. Like, that she really, yeah. really cares about him. That she gets insanely jealous of the way he's behaving towards this child, this basically. Child. And he's just, like, when she just gets to the end of it, where she's just like, you're out of your mind. Like, what are you even talking about? I mean, it's, it's so great. And he gets, how he gets all lost in the sort of romance of it. Oh, clearly he's overselling he's it. Like, he's like, everything's a, oh great. Yeah. And it's definitely, I mean, he's, the gentleman doth protest too much, and she's, like, all over the place. Oh, it's so great. I just, and I, I laugh I every time. When, um, Oh, it's so good. I love when Glennis Johns goes, sorry, Anne. It's so, it's my favorite, like, moment in the whole record. I mean, her and Hermione Your Gertrude, your Anne, sorry, Anne. Um, but that reminds me, so I did Side by Side by Sondheim, like, four years mm. ago, mm-hmm. which is a musical review that, like, it's a son. Sondheim has got like four musical reviews, and sure. it's not. It's definitely not one of the ones anyone should do. But I had a lot of fun doing it because yeah. I got to sing like "I'm Still Here." But my husband was in it too, and we got to sing "You Must Meet My Wife." Ah. Um, there's an audio clip of it on my YouTube if you want to hear it. But that was Ooh. so much fun to do that with him because he and I love performing together. We have pretty good chemistry on stage, so just 
doing that moment together. He's like, what is this show? I was like, Little Night Music, you're going to get into it, I promise. <laughs> 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 yeah, that, that is a really fun song to act. So There it fun. is. Okay, and bookmarked that video. Oh, <laughs> yeah. There we yeah, go. It, no, but you're right. That is such... It's so it, much it's, fun. It's the yeah. Sondheim wit at like 11. Mm-hmm. Because he's so good at like the bitchy, like side eye, like swirling your cocktail, mm-hmm. you know, Elaine Stritch type things. And that song is all that. Like, oh, totally. It's so and great. it's so... And it's just, I mean, it's just fun and light and hilarious. And he gets to show off. He, he gets so many opportunities in the show to show off because the structure of it being erudite people in an erudite time with very classy music, he gets to have them say all kinds of big words that rhyme with each other it's and the music and gets butter, to go baby. all the place and he really gets to let go. Yeah. And it's just, you can tell, which he kind of does. I mean, you know, he gets to do that very rarely in an entire show. And so it's really fun to see him like to do that. And, and this is, yeah, it's, 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 it's he at his most Cole Porter, like just that absolute, sweet perfection of those characters oh yeah it's it's like that okay so it's that 70s stretch of you know company follies a little night right. music and it really is Three Tonys just in like a row. yeah it really is just like actually four Tonys upper 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 class white people kind of drinking drinks and being bitchy and like mm-hmm. that kind but of thing which is his bread and butter it's, but it's, it's also his it's an important show i think in his chronology because it was mm-hmm. the first show he did successfully where he was way out of his wheelhouse because every score oh, yeah. he wrote up to that point, starting with night, I mean, excluding Forum, starting with with Whistle and going up to the uh, to Follies, were all New York scores. They were all Broadway yeah. style scores, and this was his. Well, first and even thing. Forum might as well have been. Like Forum's something. very it, yeah. It's vaudeville Borscht Belt, George Abbott like, kind of style, yeah, yeah Dan Yankee's yeah. kind of score. But it's he, only only technically in Rome, right? It's well, very true. <laughs> But so with Night Music was the first time he really wrote a show that was way outside of his experience. And then from Night Music, we go to Pacific Overtures and we go to Sweeney and we go to all these. He he really like if you look at his his uh, oeuvre after that, he's going Mm -hmm. all over the place. He's not afraid to go to Passion. He's not afraid to go to Into the Woods. He's all over the place. And it's like never gone back to New York, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, that's very true. Actually, this roadshow would be the closest thing to going back to that style of 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 writing. I went and saw that when it was Bounce in Chicago with Ryan Scott Oliver. Oh, okay. Oh, we not, went not out. in it. You went together. Okay. Yeah. No, we went together because this was our thing when I was in college. It's uh-huh. like we were like, let's get together in the summer and go to a part of the country where some big Sondheim thing is Was happening. that with Richard Kind and Howard McGillan? Yeah, I saw and that. Gavin, in, and I, Gavin Creel. And Gavin Creel. I saw that at the Kennedy Center. It was not good. It was not good. <laughs> Thank you so much, Emily. This was so much fun. Where can people track you down? You're, you're um, on YouTube. Search for Emily Clark and you'll find your videos. Yeah, yeah. If you look up Emily Clark Stealing Focus on YouTube, you'll probably find me. Um, most of my handles on like Twitter and Instagram, like TikTok and stuff are uh, Emily A.B. Clark. Um, so if you look for that, you'll mm-hmm. you'll find me. There's so many Emily Clarks. It's such a basic white girl name. But um, if you put Stealing Focus next to it, you'll, you'll probably find me. Well, yes. And when you search <laughs> Emily Clark, as, as I did, when you Google your name, the, it says, did you mean Amelia Clark? Like I know. I know. Did you mean and uh, I said, the star of Game of Thrones? And I and I got to say, no, I I didn't. I I know what I typed. <laughs> Your name is literally my name, but fancier. 
I love her. <laughs> she deserved so much better than that last season of Game of Thrones. Well, everyone did, I think. We yeah. can agree. <laughs> Literally everyone. That's true. Look, ma'am, an invitation here. Ma'am, delivered by hand. And ma'am, I noticed the stationery's engraved and very grand. Petra, how too exciting just when I need it. Petra's an elegant writing, so she you hardly can read it. What do you think? Who can it be? Even the ink, no hint at me. Presents, just think of it, Petra is kindly. It's at the chateau, requested, etc., etc. Madame Leonora Arms. Oh no! A weekend in the country, we're invited. What a horrible plot! A weekend in the country, I'm excited. No, you're not. A weekend in the country, just imagine, it's completely depraved. A weekend in the country, it's insulting, it's engraved. Is that woman? Is that our belt? Oh, the actress, oh, the girl. She may hope to make a charm belt, but she's mad if she thinks I would be such a fool as to weekend in the country. How insulting, and I'm nothing to wear. A weekend in the country, here, the last place I'm going is there. The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. The original cast is on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at OriginalCastPod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on all platforms at UnknownPenguin. Enjoying yourself? Leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and tell the world. You can also find the original cast on Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, and wherever fine podcasts are available. My thanks to Emily Clark for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. Voices of sedition, 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 vo